I'll get there in a moment. But I got a story. You know, we sit around. Anybody else like me, if you sit around and watch the news, you get depressed. And uh, I can only state little bits of it at a time. But uh, I want you to know tonight, and you know this already, but I just want to repeat, God is not dead. And people are still being saved, and, and churches are being built, and it's just amazing. Let me tell you one, well, it's kind of a long story, but it's parts, multiple parts to it. Several years ago, we had a group of our missionaries meeting together for a time of fellowship in Fiji, South Pacific Islands, and they were, they were eating in this quaint little uh, hotel restaurant. And while they were sitting there, this man walked in, blue jeans, pulled over shirt, and the missionary said to the director, that's the prime minister. Well, the director said, that's not the prime minister. That's the gardener. He's got on blue jeans. He just stood up, went over there and stuck out his hand, and bodyguards came from everywhere. It was the prime minister. Well, but he introduced himself. The missionary did, and they were talking, and the prime minister told him his name. is about that long. He couldn't even pronounce it. Embarrassed himself. But he witnessed to the man, had his picture taken with him, came back to America, and he put that prime minister's picture in his Bible. And every day when he would read his Bible, he would pray for Fiji and that prime minister. Well, a month or so went by, and he was praying every day, and, and the Holy Spirit kind of burdened him. Why don't you write that man a letter and witness to him again? And he did. Well, not long after that, and the, when I tell this story, it's just so amazing. The prime minister of Fiji called Biyama. And he was talking with Brother Brooks, Alan Brooks, and Brother Brooks was telling him what we do. And one of the things we do, we're, we win people to Christ and start churches, but God's let us give out Bibles all over the world. Back when the, when the wall came down in eastern Germany, in Germany and in Russia and all that, we gave out hundreds of thousands, millions of Bibles. But the, the prime minister of Fiji said to Brother Brooks, would you be willing to come to our country and give Bibles to all of our students in all of our schools here? And Brother Book said, oh, man, well, we'd love to do that. And then it hit him. Sir, how many students are you talking about? Well, he's calculating high school, secondary schools, elementary school. He said, oh, about 220,000. When's the last time you bought a Bible? Oh, we didn't have a penny. He said, sir, would you, we would love to do that. Would you give us a year and let us pray about it and ask God to help us do it? Well, we found a place. This is amazing, too. It's a printing shop business in Belarus that was former communist printing presses that prints whole Bibles, whole King James Bibles, maps in the back, cross-references, study notes, plan of salvation, three pages in the front, and a blank page, which I really love, so that the pastor close to that school or the missionary can go with us and put their church info right in that Bible. We can have them printed in Belarus whole Bibles, not glued either, stitched Bibles, and shipped to Fiji and give them out for $3 for a Bible. Well, we started into that, and the year went by, and God brought the money in, and we, we had them shipped, and I got to go. And this is, I love I loved getting out with the missionaries. We went to every school, Hindu schools, Muslim schools, Catholic schools, military schools, every school in Fiji. And they give us an hour to go in and preach the gospel and give out Bibles. First school I spoke in, I gave a Bible to a teacher. She came up and said, Sir, you don't know me. And she said, You didn't know this, but today's my birthday. 
She said, I'm 60 years old today. She said, this is the best birthday present I've ever had in my life. She's just holding that Bible. We went to a Hindu school. And it's sort of Fiji, it's tropical, hot, humid. And there was no room big enough. There were like 1,100 high school students. And they were standing out in the sun. And they'll sit there and listen to you for an hour, not, not flinch. But it st- rain clouds started coming in. Well, the Hindu headmaster didn't want us there anyway. And it started to rain. And she said, we got to send them back to their classes. And Brother Brooks just said, God, stop the rain so we can give out these Bibles today. And just like that, it quit raining. I mean, it didn't rain a drop. And we took an hour, we gave the gospel, we gave every student a Bible. When it ended, they're running up, sir, would you sign my Bible? We've never seen anything like that. The Christian God has big ears. And they're right. Well, we, we did that. We gave out 230,000 Bibles in Fiji. People got saved. The missionary pastors and the national pastors went with us. People were visiting, still are, by the way. Uh, one of our men went and gave out some Bibles, came back burdened. There was an island that did not have a gospel preaching church on the whole island. He came back praying and said, God, please call somebody to go out to that island and plant a church. And God did. God called his son and his wife. And they just arrived there a few months ago. Uh, well, that happened in Fiji. That was several years ago. So I don't know, some time went by, and again, the telephone rang behind mine. And this time, it was one of the high government officials in Papua New Guinea. And I tell this story, I just, you know, for me, I just, I'm overwhelmed the way God works. But here's what he said. He said, our young people here in our country are struggling. They got all kinds of problems. What they need is God in the Bible. Would you come to our country and give out Bibles to all of our students? You know how many students are in Papua New Guinea? 2.17 million. (laughs) Well, uh, we launched into that. We didn't know. We said, we'll, we'll give them out as long as God brings in the funds. And it, those Bibles, they have waterproof covers. you you got sticky hands. It doesn't matter because it's, it's a special PVT type, PCV type cover. It has a bird of paradise right on the front cover, which is their national emblem. Uh, I got to go there too. These schools are back in those mountains. You've never seen such roads. And, and I, we'd drive up there and I'd say, there's nobody up here. And we'd drive on a school and there'd be 1,500 young people. They'd stand there an hour in that baking sun. And we have given out. Now, we're, we're not going to cover the 2.17 million. But already we've given out Bibles to every college and university and tech school, all their high schools. Right now we're working on the fourth through the ninth grade and we're We've given out 750,000 Bibles and 250,000 more have just arrived there this month. You know what that means? That's a million Bibles. Now, we're never going to get to the elementary schools. But out there, what we think is that all those elementary kids have brothers in the secondary school and the high school. And everybody's going. And, folk, I went. I got to go out there and see. And, and the first week I was there, we preached to over 18,000 people. We give out 18,000 Bibles. It's, it's man's work. You're lugging boxes of Bibles. You've got to unpack them. They're shrink-wrapped. You've got to un- take that plastic off of them, stamp the church info in there. The pastor goes with us. We drive up in those roads. I, I kept saying, man, I wish Pastor so-and-so was with me. Because they can't understand why a missionary needs a you know a tough vehicle until you get out on those roads and you're just, oh, it's, it's, 
and you're driving up a mountain and, and you're hugging the side of the mountain over here and over on this side, there's nothing. <laughs> and I just wanted you to know, you know, we don't, I don't think churches here hear enough what God's doing around the world. Amen. Look, that their government, several years ago, they decided, their multiple language, their tribal languages, they decided to teach English in all of their school system. And by doing that, they've united their country. They had a they had a totem in their parliament building. You know, a totem like a totem pole. They took it out because it was heathenism, and they replaced it with this uh, what obelisks. I don't know what you call it in English, and it has all their different tribes and languages on it. And the base of it, it's about this big around. The base of it, the foundation says. Founded on the Word of God. They came to America. Mike Pence helped them. They, the government, they bought this huge, big first edition Bible, King James Bible, flew it all the way back to Papua New Guinea, had a parade from the airport to the parliament. And they built this beautiful table in, in the center of their parliament is this huge Bible. We are seeing people saved, churches filling with people. I went out there, and I knew in my mind a little bit of the history of a lot of our missionaries went to Papua New Guinea 40, 45 years ago and longer. And they, they were, this, anybody know, remember Papua New Guinea back in those days? I mean, bones in their noses, cannibals, and killed each other, and it was rough. Our missionaries went there. A lot of them, they suffered, and, but they stayed at it. And most of those guys are in heaven now. A few of them not, but most of them. We only have one missionary family living in Papua New Guinea right now. But I, when I was there, everywhere I went, they, was, they would say, Brother Godfrey, John Owen started this church. Hal Webb started this church. Raymond Sorrells won me to Christ. Clyde Simpson taught me the Bible. There are 1,800 churches in Papua New Guinea that trace themselves back to behind my missionaries who went there 40, 45 years ago. I'm just saying, when you when you get out there and you see what God's doing around the world, again, my problem, I got a lot of problems, but my when I get out there, when I say there, I mean the Philippines. I think Philippines most open mission field in the world as far as winning people. Central America, a lot of South America, Uganda, the Ivory Coast, South Africa, you get in those parts of the world where people are being saved and churches are being built, and now they're sending missionaries all over the world. And that's, that's Bible. See, the, the belief in reaching people with the gospel is not an American thing, okay? It's for everybody. Anyway, that's my, that's my, that's my story. It's an ongoing story. We're going to give out. Uh, we prayed and asked, and our pastors on our board talked about it. We said, God, if, with your help, if you'll bring it in, we're going to give out a million Bibles in Papua New Guinea. They're there on the ground. I'm going to... I got to go back sometime this year. I don't know when, how I'm going to do it, how I'm going to work it out. It's a long, it's it's like two days getting out there. But anyway, pray for those people. It's so open. If I were a, you know, if I were a young man, how many, anybody, not many of y'all old as I am anyway, how many of you old guys said, man, if I were younger, you know what I'd do? I'd go, I'd do what I've been doing all my life. I'd go to Japan, be a missionary, go to Papua New Guinea. Go back to Africa, and uh, it's it's wonderful what is happening now. Second Timothy chapter four. 
Y'all hope I'll be short because i got to leave. So, <laughs> All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Some of the, the last words written by the Apostle Paul back to this young man, Timothy, who I think he'd won to the Lord. He was his... We've taken that word Timothy and made a, um, made not a proper noun, but just a noun out of it. We talk about the pastor or the missionary has a Timothy. You know what's that mean? A young man that got saved and God's brought them along with that missionary or with that pastor and the, they're learning. And we call, that's my Timothy. I'm, I'll be in Japan in about three weeks and I'll preach for Pastor Yoshimoto. Yoshimoto Sensei, he's Dr. Les Frazier's Timothy. He's a brilliant man. They teach three years of Greek in our Bible college out there. Uh, Ogawa Sensei, that's Dr. Sis Timothy. And I could go down the, oh, Pastor Omote, Brother Ron White's Timothy. Well, here we are. Paul's writing to this young man, Timothy, uh, some of his last words. And he said, I charge thee therefore, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, repute. Exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after uh, their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away from their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Boy, doesn't that sound a lot like today? Amen. Uh, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And then Paul says, For I'm ready, I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He wasn't going back home. Well, he really was. He was going home to heaven. And he knew that. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he's profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee, with the books, and especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, the Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord is with me. And I'll stop my reading there. I want to talk just a little bit tonight about what do you do when you face difficult times in your life? Anybody not had one? Difficult times, I mean. Some of you may be going through it right now. Some of you, some of you have had it in the past. Some of you, hang on, it's coming. My wife is back in Tennessee. I mentioned that this morning. Her brother, he's he's younger than I am, so he's a real young man. Not not really, but his wife last Sunday went to heaven. They only have one son. His name's Michael. Michael's forty years old or so. Uh, he's he's right now. His mama just died last Sunday. He's in the ICU in the hospital. His body doesn't produce stems of uh, blood platelets. Two days, three days ago, maybe he had a blow. Uh, his nose started bleeding. His dad just had uh, Linda's brother just had major pancreatic cancer surgery. 
that took out over half his pancreas, his gallbladder, part of his intestine. He can't hardly get around. He just barely started driving again. His wife just died and his son. You know, anybody identify with that? It seems like when troubles come, they come in clusters. Now, when you, when you study the life of Paul, Paul, there are a lot of problems that Paul was faced too. Uh, he had church members who needed rebuking. And in chapter, uh, first verse here, he did that. He's charging Timothy to do that very thing. There were false teachers. Uh, there were, uh, he was in prison. He was facing death. Paul had a lot of problems. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people today, when you get out and travel like we do, it's amazing to see. Sometimes you think you have problems till you get around other people. And you realize what I have, that's really uh, not much at all. Linda and I, we've been married a long time. We've been serving the Lord together a long time. We have our problems. Linda, she has, I've already mentioned, she, every three months, 13 years, she gets 12 injections around each eye. They'll give her two injections right on top of her eyelid. I hate to even take her to get it. It, it hurts. It gives her a splitting headache for 24 hours. Uh, but she's willing to go through that in order to be able to see. Somebody this morning thought I was choking, and I said, no, I'm not choking. My right vocal cord's totally paralyzed. Hey, let me show you something. Hold both your hands up and try to clap, but I only use one hand. That's the way I talk. My right vocal cord doesn't move. Now, I'm not telling you that feels sorry for me. I'm just saying that, hey, we all have problems. Sometimes very serious problems. And Paul's writing this. When you read the newspaper... Uh, they're terrible images today. Uh, again, I went to, I mean, remember, it's, it's been a while ago, about 10 years ago probably, when the big earthquake and the tsunami hit in Japan. I was in America when that happened, but I was Far East director. I'd, I'd gone after that to Mongolia. When I got to Mongolia, the missionaries started sending me emails, Brother Godfrey, would you please come over to Japan? We really need you here. Would you come? And, I tried to get my tickets changed, but I was flying on Air China. They wouldn't even talk to me. I flew all the way back to America, bought more tickets, and flew back to Japan. And I got out there with our missionaries. And by the way, it impressed me, the work our missionaries were doing. For weeks, they slept on the ground in tents up on the mountain over where the tsunami came in. I was up there one night. We were lying on the ground. We had a 7.2 aftershock on the ground. We were bouncing around like ping pong balls. It was cold up there one night. It, it, one day it snowed four inches on us. But we would go down. We had a box truck and a van. We'd go down every morning. This Quesanuma is a town down at the ocean. Uh, it was had a million people in it. It was kind of back in a cold, modern city. Fisherman's town, but very modern. And... Um, because of the lay of the land there, when the tsunami came in there, down at Fukushima and Sendai, it was a thirty, it was ten meters high, thirty feet high up there. Because it, it tried to get in, it goes back in that cove. It was ninety feet high. A lot of people had, they couldn't find their family, and they'd driven up, and they've got these signs going up the mountain that said tsunami area stops here, but not that day it didn't, and people were driven up there and parked, and the water came. And I, I don't know how to, t I mean, I was glad I went. We saw people saved. We were passing out clothing and food and fuel and giving out gospel tracts and talking to people. I'm glad I went, but it was it, it, it tore my heart out. I'm just saying, look, there are a lot of problems out there. 
Some of you are, are facing that, many different, trying to find a job, family. I just want to share some simple thoughts tonight about what Paul's writing to this young man, Timothy. You know, we older guys, young people, listen to me. Listen to what the older people say. You might learn something. Amen? Anybody? Paul's writing to this young man, Timothy. He said, Timothy, let me help you a little bit. And in, number, in verse number 8, Paul said to Timothy, Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. Here's what I see. Paul, at the end of his life, checked his own commitment. Uh, do I know that I'm saved? If, if you don't know you're saved, I would settle that. I mean, it's not religion. I said that this morning. It's not doing the best you can, not being baptized, not being a church member. It's trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ. We need to know that we're saved. We need to know that we're serving the Lord. I remember I was uh, back in my young days as a Marine. I went in, I went to Paris Island, Paris Island. I weighed 120 pounds. I gained 20 pounds at Paris Island. Well, I went to Paris Island. I, I'm telling you that so y'all know I'm a, real, I'm a real Marine. I went to Paris Island, then Camp Lejeune, then I ended up stationed. I ended up stationed MCRD, Marine Corps Boot Camp, uh, in San Diego. <laughs> then I went to, they sent me to 29 Stumps. Anybody know where 29 They call it 29 Palms on the map, but it, you couldn't find 29 Palms. Anyway. Okay, I went to I went to San Diego. I, I was new there, just a young 17-year-old, 18-year-old Marine. And I went downtown trying to find a church to go to, and there was a group out, had their bus, and they were taking people down to a church in a in a serviceman center in Chula Vista, California. So I got on the bus and I went down there and I walked into this place and there was a little lady sitting there about this tall. And I she was I thought really old. Now, I was only 17, remember. I walked in there. That lady took me by the hand. She said, Marine, are you saved? Yes, ma'am. I know, I know I'm saved. She said, Marine, are you living for God? Now, I had to stop a moment before I answered her that time. And then I said, that's really what I want to do. Well, I didn't know that lady. First time I ever met her. Every serviceman, every sailor, every Marine went in that door. She asked him, are you saved? Are you living for God? She had been a missionary for 40 years in Angola in Africa. Her name, we all called her Aunt Hannah. Her name was Hannah Bracey. I used to sit around for hours talking to her. And I said to myself, I wasn't even married then. I said, when I get married and we have a daughter, we'll name her Hannah. And we did. We have a, our oldest daughter's Hannah and our oldest granddaughter's Hannah. And that's a Bible name, but it really goes back to a lady that she couldn't go back to Africa. But she lived in that little servicemen center. They had a little apartment there. And uh, she won people to the Lord. She witnessed everybody down there. You know what she made me do? She made me check my commitment. Are you saved? Man, I, I know I'm saved. Uh, are you living for God? That's a little harder question, but I think I could. I, I answered it. I, that's what I really want to do. John R. Rice, do you know that name? Great evangelist, preacher. Now, I know this makes me sound so old. I knew John Rice. Now, he was an old man. I was a young man. I went to him more than once and said, Dr. Rice, you don't know me. I'm a nobody. But I want you to know how your books and, and your preaching changed my life. I read his book, Soul Winner's Fire. 
I read, you know, I just, back in those days, I discovered, I had a man in my church gave me a Schofield Bible subscription to the Sword of the Lord, told me to listen to Harold Siler, Oliver Green, Dr. M.R. Dehan. <laughs> they ruined me. And uh, so anyway, John Rice was an old man when he died, when he went to heaven. And in his later years, he was preaching down in Texas, staying in a hotel room, and these young punks broke in his room, beat him up, threatened him. Had, they had a gun. They they said, "Give me your, you know, give me your money." And and uh, he was kind of not wanting to abate that. And they said, "Don't you understand? Uh, we can send you to heaven. Don't don't you understand? We can kill you." And he said, "Young man, are you threatening me with heaven?" And how, do we do we know? Have we committed all that we have to the Lord? I said to my college students on last on Friday or Thursday, probably was on Thursday. I said, you know, I've never heard. I've been preaching a long time. I've never heard someone say, "I regret that I gave my heart, and my life to Christ." I've never heard that. But I tell you what, I have heard a lot. I wish I had. People come to the altar and say, "Brother God, I know God called me to preach. I know God called me to be a missionary. I know I should be teaching something. I know, but I I didn't do it. God God wanted me to, and I didn't. And I'm I'm miserable. I've never heard anybody say, "I wish," or "I regret that I gave my all." And I told my class, when I got saved, that was a great day in my life. But you know, another great day in my life, and I've done it more than once actually. This is the day that I came to the Lord and said, Lord, everything I have is yours. My future, my, who I'm going to marry, where I'm going to live, what I'm going to do, safety. Could you believe anybody would ever fuss at me? Every once in a while when we came out of the Congo, people say, Brother Godfrey, how, how dare you take your wife and your little kids out there in that jungle? There's no doctor and there's malaria and there's AIDS and there's snakes and there's crocodiles and how dare. And you know what I say to them? We turned all that to God before we ever got married. Check your commitment. Number two, let me show you here. Paul's writing to this young man, and he says, Timothy, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Verse 9. You see, Paul counseled. He was an older man, been serving the Lord for years. He still counseled with godly people. You see, Paul needed Timothy. Hey, don't miss this. We need each other. Now, the the purpose of the church is is threefold. Maybe more, but number one is it's worshiping God. Number two, it's reaching out to the lost. But another thing the church is for is for us. The fellowship, the communion, the help, and the the, the prayers and the t- listening to the testimony. Uh, we need each other. For years, we lived in Lindine Senegal. We worked with four different families. We were as different as night and day. Brother Ron Bragg, who worked with me, he's still my good friend. Brother Bragg was a sailor from Western Missouri and went to Bob Jones University. Swanee Lindquist was a Green Beret from Biola, from Mar- uh, uh, Mariposa, California, went to Biola. He didn't know any better in those days. And uh, Brother Walter Amos, who worked with us, was an Air Force man from Western North Carolina with Tabernacle Bible Institute. I'm a Marine from South Carolina with Tennessee Temple. We, you couldn't get any more very different. We had the Air Force, the, the Army, the Navy, the Marines. We had California to South Carolina and Missouri. All different Bible colleges. But you know what? 
We loved each other and we helped each other and we encouraged each other. We worked together. We knew we needed each other. Paul had a problem. He didn't, he had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed and asked God, and God said, I'm not going to take it away. But he gave him Luke, the doctor, to travel with him. We saw him here in this passage. You see, we need each other. It'll help you when you get down. Don't try to handle it all yourself. It's another interesting thought here. I mentioned it, alluded to it this morning. Uh, Saul and Barnabas went out of their church at Antioch on their first missionary journey. And when they went, they took a young man named John Mark with them. And they went over to Cyprus and they preached. But on the way back, John Mark quit and went home to Mama. Why did he go? I don't know, but he did. Now later on, Paul and Barnabas were having this discussion, and Barnabas said, well, look, I got my nephew Mark, and I want to take him on this next journey. And Paul said, he's, not, he's a quitter. He's not going with me. And they split up. But in this passage, Paul says, hey, Timothy, when you come to see me, I need you. But when you come, would you bring Mark? Because he's profitable to me for the ministry. I'm just reminding us tonight, look, we need each other. Uh, we need to have counsel from godly people. You can go out, you'd have to go a long way here to find a stick probably, but you can go out and you find a little stick on the ground and, and you can just snap that thing right in two. But you go out and take four or five sticks and tie, tie them together and even the strongest guy in here, you couldn't break it. You can take one snowflake, it'll light on your hand and the moment it hits, it's melted. But you take enough snowflakes and it'll stop traffic. And we can learn to work together, to love each other. You say, well, well you don't know that. We're different. It's okay. God. You know, difference is not bad. That's what I tell young missionaries all the time. You go into a different culture. They do things different there. But different, it's not bad. They, every culture has some bad stuff in it. But cultures have good things in it too. If you can learn to grow, learn from other people, ask questions, counsel from godly people, don't not ungodly people, but stick together. It will help us all when we face problems. Number three, let me tell you what Paul did. Here he was an old man writing to Timothy and talk, giving him all these words of advice. And he says in verse 11 that he's doing this for the ministry. Now Paul was at the end of his life. He knew they were going to cut his head off. And I think Paul was saying what I heard Dr. Sis say not a few weeks, months back down at Lancaster Baptist Church. His wife went to heaven a couple of years ago. He's 87 years old. Dr. Sis told those people, I'm going to live till I die. You know what he means by that? He's going to serve the Lord till the day that Christ takes him to heaven. And Paul's writing to this young man. He said, continue in the work. Have you ever get... Don't raise your hands on this one. Do you ever get discouraged and just want to quit? Have you ever seen Christians pout? Oh, that person hurt my feeling today. Well, Lord bless your pointed head. I mean, who, do, who in the world we think we are sometime? Um, Paul said, hey, just, just do what God wants you to do. Stay in the work. Continue on. Don't, don't be so easy to have your feelings hurt. Even though death was near for him, Paul said, I am not going to quit and stay home. D.L. Moody said, I would not work my soul to save, for this my Lord has done, but I would work like any slave 
for the love of His dear Son. I get, I get colleges begging me. I got three right now. They, they all want me to come head to Mr. Barmers and teach. And you know why they want me to, to do that? I mean, it's not because I'm good looking, okay? It's not because I have a lot of money. It's not because I'm wanting to do it. You know why they want me to do it? Because I've been at it for 50 years. When they look at somebody and, and see, you know, they've they stayed at the job. They've been faithful. They've been involved. They've been committed. People notice that. Dr. Sis asked us, Linda me, would you pray about being Far East Director and going to the Orient? And I told him, I, said, I really told him this. I said, you're my friend. You've been in the sun too long. I'm an African. I speak French, Wolof, Kikongo, and some Arabic. And you want me to go to Japan and China? Something wrong with you. And I couldn't understand Pastor, I couldn't understand why. I asked him, I said, why would you ask me and Linda to go to Japan? I've never been there. I don't want to go there. I don't know anybody there. I'll get off the train in the wrong place. Nobody will ever find me again. You know what he told me? He said, look, the reason we want you all to do it is because you love missionaries and you understand the burdens they carry. And that's what they need. My wife, I've said it over and over again, it's more important that my wife go out there than that I go. You know why? Because those missionaries' wives, they get lonely, they get discouraged. They're trying to homeschool kids and help in a ministry and help in the church and go to the grocery store. Can you imagine, you go to the grocery store in, in Japan and you're an American lady, you don't even know what's in the can. You can't read the, if you don't, if you figure out what's in the can, you still can't read the directions of how to cook it. Do you know what those missionary wives need? They need my wife a lot of times just to sit down beside them and put her arm around them and pray for them and love on them and encourage them. And, and they know she's been through it. Uh, Paul continued in the work. Why? Because he really believed that Jesus suffered and died for us. And if he did that for us, we ought to serve him the rest of our lives. Verse 13, he said to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, when you come, I left my coat, I left my cloak, and would you bring it with you? But he said, when you come also, would you bring with you the books, but especially the parchments? See, here was Paul, an old man. You know what he was still doing? He was still clinging to the Word of God. I need it. Bring those parchments. I think that was talking about the Bible. He said, when you come, people ask, they, all, they want... Americans especially, we want a shortcut to everything. We want fast food, fast service. Go with me to Africa. They'll slow it down more to watch you squirm. <laughs> uh, there is no shortcut to being a mature Christian. You know how you become a mature Christian? You read your Bible every day. You pray. You spend time with the Lord. You... Uh, you cling to God's Word. You have fellowship with God's people. Uh, let the events of the days drive you to the Word of God. How do you deal with difficulties? Well, when you have a problem, don't neglect God's Word. When you have a problem, don't neglect God's church. Cling to the Word of God. Read it. Love it. Now, I found that if I have, I just, I have to have a, uh, develop a good habit. They're bad habits or good habits. And habits, how do you get habits? 
you do it and you do it and you do it again. And, and I just find in my life, if I don't get up in the morning and spend my time with God in the morning, I may not do it. I just make it a habit. I get up in the morning and I read my Bible. Now, let me give you one more thought. What do you, how do you handle the difficulties in your life? Verse 17 says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul counted on the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I quoted it this morning, but I love the verses. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. The Lord said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now you, you say, Brother Guy, but I don't feel that way. I don't always feel his presence, but he's there. I, I, I can't see him. Have you ever heard someone say, I only believe what I can see? That's the dumbest statement anybody ever made. Hey, you electricians. I was electronics tech in the... So there's some more of you here too. I was electronics tech. I was a radar repairman in the Marines. I had all that schooling, mathematics. We use a slide rule. Nobody knows what that is even. And they had, I had all this theory, and they tell me how the, all those little electrons flow through that wire up there, and it, it makes the light come on. And I've heard all that stuff. You can't, fig, you can't see any of that. You don't even worry about it, do you? You just walk in the room, flip the light switch on, and the light comes on. There are a lot of things that we can't, that we don't see, but we're convinced of. And one of them, I've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ with my eyes, but there is nothing in me that doesn't know that He is with me. I can count on His presence, and even in the last days of my life, I can count on the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life, in my family, when I may not feel it, when I may not... have you, Look, feelings... You understand feelings are fickle? Because some days you get up and you just don't feel good. There are a few of you, y'all, you're not, you're not feeling really good. It doesn't count... It's not your feelings that determines what truth. The truth is... Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking about I, I think of all these things and then I hesitate do I want to really say that or not. How many how many of you get up one morning and and you, and you get up and you get your coffee and you're kind of grumpy and, and you just you don't feel really loving towards your wife? Never. That wouldn't happen. But it, it doesn't depend on feelings sometimes because love is a, I said last night, it's a decision you make. I love my wife with all my heart. Now, I may get up. We lived out in Africa. We had malaria and we it was hot. It, we, we had parasites. I'm not going to go into all of that. I'm just saying I, there's some things you can't explain to the unbelieving world. But when you know that you're saved and you know there are problems in the world, and here we read the, the words, the last words of this great preacher, this great missionary, who says, hey, you have problems, everybody has problems. But don't forget, spend time with God's people. 
Stay close to Him. Check your commitment and know that right to the very end of your life, the Lord's going to be with you. And Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us to know that. And I just pray that you would 